Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Trotar, Sandy Clough. On my left, my uh, pessimism, Sandy, yesterday, appears to have been unfounded as the Denver Nuggets put together... Arguably, given the situation, the best game that they have played in not only this year, but maybe in many years, holding Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to sub-50% shooting in a win last night that wasn't even as close as the score made it su- suggest. And now the Nuggets find themselves up three games to two, an opportunity to close it on the road in Phoenix. Yes, that will be a tough game to play, but honestly, the way that they commanded the game last night and the idea that the Chris Paul may try to come back for game six. I feel like the nuggets are, they're obviously in a good position when they're one game away, but it feels like, again, you've met it before momentum in the playoffs is sort of a game to game thing, but the nuggets have proven in this series, even though it is three games to two, that they are the the more versatile team. They can win in more ways than Phoenix can win. And when they apply themselves, they are a notably better defensive team than the Suns. And I think they're in a great position to finish this off on Thursday. I'm not sure that they have nearly as much at stake on Thursday. But I know how Phoenix's season ended last year in a seventh game against Dallas at home. Uh, Rather ignominiously. And there is that possibility again. My takeaway last night, beyond admiring how well the Nuggets played, particularly in the second half, was that Durant and Booker looked tired from the beginning of the game. Not during the game, late in the game, anything like that. Fourth quarter was garbage time. So nobody was expending much energy in the in the fourth quarter. But I thought early on, and by early on, I mean first quarter, Durant looked tired, uh, not just missing shots, but he looked tired. You can spot fatigue, I think, more easily on the defensive end, and I didn't think he was a factor there. Uh, the Nuggets exhibited uh, a little more moxie and fortitude, even their bad quarter wasn't bad defensively. They only gave up 25 points in their bad quarter. Right. That was the second. Their problem was that after 17 fast break points were scored in the first, as is their want, they had zero fast break points in the second quarter. Uh, for, for no apparent reason, they just stopped running entirely and started playing one-on-one. Even there, though, I thought Phoenix missed an opportunity to win the game in the second quarter. I thought Phoenix needed to be ahead by 7 to 10 points at halftime, have a shot at winning, and instead they were three points behind still. Good second quarter, but after a very poor first period, I thought they needed more than they got out of their one good quarter, and even a 7 to 10-point lead probably would not have held up. The Nuggets were that good. But I think the fatigue of the, the Stars uh, make it almost 
irrelevant as to whether Paul plays Thursday night or not. Uh, I saw the same clip that most of you listening saw, Sean, that you saw of him uh, engaging in some pregame activity. Uh, Looked pretty good from what I could see in the clip. Looked like he maybe could play on Thursday night. But if Phoenix does play him, I think it's more out of desperation and an attempt to uh, limit the burden being carried by Durant and Booker. It seems to me that both have to be almost superhuman in order for the Suns to win this series. Win Thursday night, okay, uh, maybe this is just a home court series. But even if Phoenix were to win on Thursday night, I'd be very, very confident that the Nuggets would dispatch the Suns in Game 7 much as they did in Game 5. I think Chris Paul will play, and I think some of that has to do with the fact of what he's meant to the, the organization, even though he's bounced around a lot in his career. But he's also 38 years old, and you're at a point where uh, every playoff run you're in might be your last one. And I can't imagine Chris Paul not finding a way to get out onto the court in some capacity. However, we've talked about that earlier this week, that quite frankly, the Suns are more dangerous, at least against the Nuggets, with Paul off the floor. But you're exactly right. I saw fatigue in both Booker and Durant. They only get a day off before the next game, and that includes a travel day. And asking Chris Paul to come back with a groin injury after missing multiple games and carry what amount of load? What would it be? defense can he exert that defense coming from that injury is it purely about reducing the ball handling for, for booker he's not a particularly gifted shooter at this point in his career so how much scoring is he really going to take away I, it, it feels to me as if the suns are and, and don't get me wrong you're the nuggets you have to finish them off they have some extraordinarily talented players and i do include chris paul in that but it feels as if the fuel tank for the Suns last night at about the beginning of the third quarter of game five, that fuel light blinked on and off that they're almost out of gas. I'm not saying that they absolutely can't win on Thursday night. What I am saying is that the cumulative effect of not only all the minutes, but the standard they've been asked to reach uh, for the last three games at Devin least. Booker's been asked to be have one of the least. greatest playoff performances right. in history multiple times in a row. I, I just, you know, I, I look at the turnovers. And between the two, there were seven last night, and that's far too many for players of that and I'm, stature I'm to, to be making. We see that with Nikola Jokic fatigue. when he's tired, too. Uh, when right. Jokic is tired, we'll see turnovers. Right. Same with right. these guys. And, uh, you know, Jokic last night had four, but in the context of the game, they really didn't mean very and much. He was he still three to one them. in assist right. to turnover ratio. Right, right, and you know, twenty nine, thirteen, and twelve with a steal and two blocks, uh, more than negates uh, the four turnovers plus eighteen in thirty eight minutes. Uh, I think that's an advantage too that Jokic and Murray didn't have to play forty minutes plus last and night. Booker and Durant and the did. Phoenix guys still played forty two. Now I understand garbage time minutes were included in that; those aren't high stress minutes. But I'm saying they look tired in the first quarter, and uh, you saw the same thing I did. And I, I think we saw last night 
the best game that Aiton is going to be able to deliver. That's a great point. Against uh, Jokic, 14 points, nine rebounds. On very efficient yeah, offense, steals, seven for 12. One block, only one turnover. And even that was good for a minus 21 yeah. over 37 minutes or 32 minutes, I guess, uh, that he played in, uh, in the game. And that's about as much as you're going to get from him. Uh, their, their bench actually wasn't bad, but the Nugget bench was exceptionally good. And, uh, I mean, Bruce Brown got his game back last night he was and more tremendous last and night. i thought christian brown christian was brown as was good as he has been at any point for one night uh not in terms of box score numbers because you'll never get a sense of christian brown's value you didn't at kansas either through his box score numbers you just don't get that sense you actually have to watch him play and watch how with the exception of stepping out of bounds one time, which I never saw him do once at Kansas. This is one of those once in a blue moon deals. Oh, it happened. He made no errors last happened night. To better players than he Christian didn't, Brown. He didn't take bad shots. He never does. Uh, he was a defensive factor uh, th- through most of the game, and I understand Gordon gets most of the credit. For Durant's ten for twenty-four or whatever it was, yeah. Um, but Brown was on him too, and I think part of Durant's frustration played out in that sideline incident that we saw. With the and although Christian yeah. Brown wasn't involved in it, I think he created some of that frustration uh, in Kevin Durant. And uh, you know, I, I, I they clearly could have gone to other people if need be. There just was no need. And I I want Aaron Gordon to play 36 minutes. Uh, and Michael Porter Jr. shot the whole fourth quarter, and that was fine too because there was no reason to have him out there and, wi- and, and, and put him through any additional wear and tear. He did his job, and he did it early in the game and finished with 19-8-2 and two with a steal. And a plus 24 and 28 I minutes. Was, you didn't need to play him. No. Jokic is under 40 minutes. Murray's under 40 minutes. And I thought uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope uh, had a game that was uh, more clearly suited to his talents than either game was in uh, Phoenix. So the, the underlying story to me was uh, the bounce-back performances from uh, Caldwell-Pope, Brown, and Brown. And I, I think... Porter Jr., as well, you brought that up. I think get some credit for that. That flurry, I mean, such a effort by the Nuggets to get him involved early in. He was the offense explosive. Obviously made the the Suns do exactly what we said they needed to do. You made them expend more energy on defense right. because it wasn't just Murray and Jokic. You right. forced them to have to now do more, and that contributed to, I think, wearing them out. And uh, Christian Brown was great. Bruce Brown's and those guys, I, I, I tend to think, that Bruce Brown at, at times doesn't show up in a box score, but still is an impactful player. Last night he was impactful in every way. He was aggressive. He was efficient. Uh, he was forcing uh, the, the Suns to stop him. And again, to give another option, you know, 25 points off the bench. Uh, he was almost as good. And I say almost only because Nikola Jokic with an, another playoff triple double was sublime. But I would argue that Bruce Brown was 
as impactful as Nikola Jokic coming into that uh, into that game last night. And that was a big part of it. If you can get that kind of performance from Bruce Brown, if you can get that kind of performance from Christian Brown, maybe not 25 points from Bruce, you don't need that. But the, the energy, the aggression yeah. from Brown, yeah. the energy on defense from Bruce Brown, and the consistent focus on defense from Christian Brown, and opportunistic scoring from those pairs. And I'll tell you what. I think makes a big difference. And and when you we talked about a little issue with the sideline there with, with uh, Bruce Brown and Nikola Jokic, and Jokic uh, specifically made a, a joke saying that he blamed Bruce Brown because if he wouldn't have yeah. retaliated, they would have gotten a shot. Right. But that's the kind of thing that happens when, one, you are you're feeling the other team teetering and, and Jokic decided to uh, poke the bear a little bit knowing that he was in the stronger spot and see if he could get under their skin, the kind of stuff that uh, other teams try to do to Jokic. Jokic decided to do that a little bit. And he drew a kind of response from Durant that you might expect. But to me, that that showed a lot. It showed that uh, Jokic is feeling confident and in control. And why wouldn't he, given the performances in the series? But it also means that Durant and the Suns are admittedly really frustrated well and then the yeah. combination of the I, two is a good sign for I, I i i didn't think it was anything but kind of silly actually um even sillier than the thing that happened in it was in phoenix but i mean those are the things but, that you know what your your alan iversons would do your the, the, uh, there's some guys that get uh, under some players skin and durant as talented as he is can be gotten in well, that regard i'd have done the same thing he did frankly Durant, uh, of course. What businesses, of course. Get out of our, get out of our huddle. Of course, in over there. In the but huddle, whether it's an official huddle during timeout or not, I, I, I don't think. I, my, I, I don't think Durant needs to be fired up anymore. They fired him up. It, you know, the game was over by then, long since decided. Uh, but I, I, that that was one part of the game. I, I just thought it was silly. And Brown went over there first, and I didn't know what what he was doing either uh frankly uh i i don't think it had any effect one way or the other i don't think it'll have an effect on on thursday night what will have an effect is if the nuggets shoot 49 and a half percent again 48 percent on threes and they have more than three assists for every turnover uh it was 32 versus 10 last night phoenix was 22 and 10 so the ball was obviously moving a lot more on the Denver end. Uh, they'll be fine. And if they can find a way to set the pace early, and I don't expect 17 fast break points every quarter, obviously, but maintain that pace. Uh, I I think they'll be fine, even if they lose another close game. Uh, they They haven't played a close game in Denver yet in this series. No. Every game is decided by 10 points or more. Mm-hmm double digits and uh you know i i i think the proof uh for nugget fans that feel that the nuggets never get enough credit well uh, officially now the nba title favorites are the denver nuggets at plus 300 uh lakers also at plus 300 but i don't know by whatever metric they use to break ties uh, the nuggets are considered as we speak this afternoon on the 10th day of May, 2023, the Denver Nuggets, maybe for the first time ever, certainly as an NBA franchise, are the favorites to win 
an NBA champion. That is uh, that is remarkable, and, and I think you are exactly right. I, I cannot imagine in the in their entire history that that has been the case. And, and and here you are now. Granted, as we know, it doesn't really mean anything. Certainly not in May. But it definitely certainly yeah, not certainly in, not in May. May. That's never happened, and and it just shows that the that they have been consistent. Look, I I, I think. And, and very close there. You know, the Nuggets and the Lakers sitting around the same. And the Sixers are plus 325. And Boston's plus 400 over at our friends at, at, at Superbook. But so there, there's still some closeness there. And you could argue, I suppose, and make a pretty good argument, that the Sixers have looked like the best team in the playoffs from top to bottom. But if it is over the Nuggets, it's not by very much. Because even in this series, the, the two games in which the Suns won, and I know they, they won game three by seven and game four by five, the Nuggets had opportunities in both those. Though those were relatively close games yeah. in which the Nuggets I, could have won, but you're right. All three in Denver have been uh, 10-point laughers and I, uh, that's impressive. The Nuggets are the best team at home in the playoffs. They haven't lost. They are not the best road team in the playoffs. At new. They're 1 and 3, correct? On the road in the playoffs. Philadelphia played last night in Boston, the best road game that any team has played in the playoffs. I would agree with that assessment. And this is a year when road teams have won quite a bit. Nobody was better than Philadelphia was last night. I mean, you you had last night every single player who got significant minutes, and I'm saying 12 minutes or more. The starters, Tucker, Harris, Embiid, Maxi, Harden, all were great. Mm-hmm in doing what they're good at doing and covering for occasional weaknesses that they might display. Niang, House, and Melton off the bench were exactly playing according to what was expected of them. They were never threatened at any one point during the game were they ever threatened. Remarkable road performance. That's why Philly is behind Denver and the Lakers at plus 325 and ahead of Boston now at plus 400 and Phoenix is back at plus 1100 and everybody else is uh, basically considered uh, uh, the Miamis of the world, for example. Uh, Nice showing, very nice showing in the playoffs so far, but not a title threat. They're just, they're just not. Now, if they had Oladipo still, and if they had Hero still, I, I don't know that their advantages would be any greater. I mean, it, it, it's hard to beat 4-1 over Milwaukee and a 3-1 advantage heading into tonight's Game 5 against the Knicks, but they, they'd, be a, they'd be inside plus 1,000 to win a title with those guys. Um, I think Butler and... Adebayo are kind of in the spot that Booker and Durant are in. Miami's just not playing nearly as strong a team as Phoenix is playing at the moment. Terrific performance by the Nuggets. Puts them in the uh, proverbial catbird seat. I don't know what you think. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. Extraordinary performance there by the Nuggets. Uh, Pretty remarkable stuff. The Game six coming up on Thursday. We'll have an opportunity to talk about that a little bit with uh, Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports uh, at the top of the hour. And what do you think about, we'll talk about this uh, maybe a little bit later on too, the five 
to do things that Michael Malone set out for the Nuggets last night, and they checked off all Every five boxes. Every single Every one, one of them. Well, let's take a look. At, let's take a look at that. And again, uh, on the road, a little different, but back at home, Michael Malone, the evolution as, as a coach, continues. Interesting. Thought to he see had a good plan. What they Thought put together. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Tell me where have you been? You know I just close my eyes. My whole world is up here. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Michael Malone. Well, the number nuggets had a five-point plan to regain control of that series, right? Transition defense, of course, get more from the bench. That was terrible. Find a way to get Michael Porter Jr. engaged, hit some more threes, and, of course, stop or slow down, more accurately, Devin Booker. I think that might have been number one. It At was. worst, I'm number sure two number on the one. list of five. I'm sure uh, it was number uh, one. I, I, on on uh, ranking the various priorities, I, I, I'll give transition D maybe a co-number one with slowing Booker down. I, I think in part there was some overlap there. So, uh, yes, uh, everything checked out uh, last night. Their transition D was better than it's been at any point in the series. Uh, they did slow Booker. Uh, the bench was terrific. Again, uh, much like the point I made about Philadelphia, the Nugget bench people and, for that matter, the starters did everything they were asked to do, play their roles, and they did it beautifully last night and uh, the M uh, PJ rebound uh, you know the unleashing of Porter and the running game helps Porter of course Porter's does. pretty mobile even with the back problems Porter can get up and he's down plenty athletic and sure. it activates him it activates him. I think and, so and knocking down the open threes I mean they were 13 for 27 overall on uh, threes and that's something that can come and go. Maybe, you know, they might take 27 threes the next game and only make six. But, you know, listen, they won by 16 points and they made 13 threes. Phoenix made nine. Um, but overall, the Nuggets shot 49.4%, Phoenix 43.2%. On that basis alone, uh, the Nuggets had the, had the edge in the game. And the 32 assist to 22 showed that everybody was touching the ball. Everybody right. got involved. Uh, starters uh, from Gordon on down to KCP, 10, 19, 29, 19, and 7. Off the bench, 4, 25, and 5. Uh, the 25 was a nice little bonus, but it came in the flow of the game. It wasn't like they were clearing out sides for Bruce Brown. No, and and that's when the Nuggets are going well. When when the the offense is naturally created by the ball movement and by movement off the ball by the Nuggets players, and so when they are are doing that, and you're right when it comes to Porter Jr. This is an argument I've made before. There are things you can pick about Porter Jr.'s game, and this is where I was trying to make make the point that the Nuggets have to continue to move the ball well because Porter Jr. and to a lesser extent, quite frankly, Aaron Gordon when they are not involved in the game plan early on or when the ball gets sticky, 
they tend to just kind of hang out by the three-point line, and then that makes them very easy to defend. When they're How involved early on, for yeah, night. impressive. And when, when they're all, on, when the ball is moving, it, it you just have to think of it your own way, right? If, when you were just out playing on on, on the, the, the court in the playground, if there's that one guy that never passes the ball, are you running without the ball at the same speed? Of course you're not. It's just human nature. If you know you will be involved, you're going to play harder. And whether you're a professional or whether you're out there on the, on the court and, you know, in the playground, it's the same. Human nature is you understand when you'll be involved and when to give the effort. And so I think the Nuggets have to do that, and I thought it was very, very smart to make an early effort to get Michael Porter Jr. involved right from the get-go because when he's been like that, he stays engaged, and he does what he's supposed to do. And no, he doesn't turn into a lockdown defender, but his his whole game, Sandy, gets better and more well-rounded when you can tell that he feels that he's going to be involved. It's just a part of who he is as a player. And whether you like it or dislike it, he's on the Denver Nuggets, and the Denver Nuggets need to account for it. They did last night. Well, they did, and it was because everybody was unselfish, and that has to be the Nugget credo. They have to take that on the road. I know Malone said we left our defense in the desert uh, somewhere. But they left uh, and that the was the only reason we lost. They, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't the only reason they lost. They, they were more selfish than they're typically uh, inclined to be and certainly have been at home uh, the most unselfish team in the playoffs. The ball's always moved at home. Uh, I, I go back and look and see through all the home games how many assists they're averaging or what their assist-to-turnover ratio is, I'm sure it's superb. It, it, if it isn't 3-1, to one, it's pretty damn close to 3-1. to one. And I like Gordon's game last night. I thought they got Gordon involved early in the mm-hmm. game in ways that were smart, and he turns into a plus-27 player over 36 minutes, and nobody else had a higher uh, plus-minus mark than Gordon did uh, on either side last night. Uh, so they managed to get Porter involved without excluding anybody else. Uh, Murray got off to a slow start and didn't have a scintillating game, but he was good when he had to be, and he was at his best in the third quarter when they needed him to be at his best. And it's the all other the more reason quarters, why. They didn't need him to be all that great. That's why you get other guys involved. Gordon and Porter picked up the slack. Because you don't have to worry about Jamal Murray being phenomenal right out of the right out of the gate if the everyone's being involved the, the nuggets have the ability to buy time to cover for someone having a slow start or sometimes not even a particularly good game as long as they move that ball around it, it's almost at times out home they do great on the road they sort of forget what part of their dna is involved in this and it's virtually it, everything it becomes a little more centered on Jokic and Murray on the road. Yes. And not because Jokic and Murray are selfish players because they're not. Correct. It, it, it's because the other three guys uh, in the starting lineup anyway tend to stand around a lot. And that's why, uh, you know, if I were given a choice between scoring a bunch of fast break points in the first quarter or the second quarter and not having any fast break points in one of the two quarters, I'd say, give me the 17 first quarter fast break points. Yes. And oh yes, especially in hindsight, we can look back at the second quarter and say, 
because the glass is more than half full. Well, that was still a terrific defensive quarter. The offense just went dry. Mm -hmm. What were they, three for 18 at least at one point in the second quarter? Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, they were equally ridiculous the other way in the third quarter where, where they hardly missed a shot. And the fourth quarter, frankly, I did watch it, but I had checked out by then because it was uh, garbage time, uh, as much as the announcers tried to pretend that it wasn't. Right. Well, their jobs And the game watching. was up for grabs. <laughs> I mean, it's the way it is. And, well, I, you know, the only announcer I ever heard, uh, uh, not on just local broadcasts or telecasts either, but on national telecasts, and I suspect he did it to kind of poke a little at the other play-by-play guys who would never say, we have entered into garbage time. And that was Marv Albert. Right. And Marv Albert also had a sharp sense of humor, and he knew the empty suits would hate it when he would say on NBC or TNT, this is garbage time, this game is over. Charles Barkley says it all the time, but he's not doing games. Right. He's in the studio. And he'll say, I'm watching hockey now. Although last night, the basketball games, one-sided as they were, were better than the hockey games, which were 6-1 to one and 6-3 to three in favor of the two road teams, as we often see in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, maybe it's because the Avalanche aren't in it, and I'm not paying attention all that much, but the Carolina-New Jersey series looks to me like a complete dud. The Dallas-Seattle game seems to be kind of a succession of bad performances by the losing team it rather does. than great ones. Yeah, by the winning it doesn't, that, that does feel like a series that, that, that nobody's Toronto, really winning Florida it so is much. a dud. Uh, Vegas and Edmonton side, is interesting. I, I, yep. I can watch Vegas and Edmonton. That's two games to one right now in Vegas' favor. Vegas won a road game the other night. But Toronto's down 3-0 to Florida. One, everyone's shortchanged Florida, obviously. Well, yeah, but you (laughs) know what? Um, The Boston Bruins held, and I've never seen this before, they had four people show up at their season-ending press conference. Mm -hmm. And... I've never seen four people at a season-ending press conference before in either the NBA or the yeah, NHL. I've never seen four. Somebody gets the short straw, and you have to the go. The president stand up there. was there, the GM was there, <laughs> the head coach was there, and I'm trying to remember who the fourth one was, but there were four of them there. Maybe the owner. Uh, I, but uh, my my, and I'm taking nothing away from Florida. The Boston Bruins ignited Florida. Florida's won six games in a row, and Toronto's looked terrible in the series, but Boston ignited Florida and gave Florida belief that it didn't have when it was down three games to one. Boston let them off the hook, and Toronto is paying the price for that, although Toronto's playing worse than Boston played, and Boston played very badly. Even even in some of the games they won, they didn't look like themselves. And I, I at least one person at that press conference said, I never in the series recognized the team I had seen during the season. He's talking about a seven-game series. He never once saw that team. So uh, 
I'm beginning to feel, especially since Seattle is 2-2 with Dallas, maybe the Avalanche didn't lay such a big egg after all. And now we're hearing about the injuries, aren't we, with the Avalanche? Just Mm -hmm. uh, quick, we'll get back on topic. Lekkonen was playing with a broken toe. Now, right? So, uh, some of his ineffectiveness was attributable. I didn't think he was aggressive on the forecheck. Well, maybe you can't be when you have a broken toe. And uh, Cogliano, who, of course, will be an unrestricted free agent, uh, was going to miss the rest of the playoffs. We already knew that. Uh, But, again, and I'm not going to belabor it today, uh, somebody's going to have to get a translator for me because I know he was speaking English, but I had no idea what McFarlane was talking about when the subject of Val Nashushkin came up. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. I know he was speaking English, but I have no idea what he said. It's Except a, that, well, he's important to our team. Well, then he'll be back. Well, who knows? Anybody's guess. Yeah. Pretty much. That was the response. Anybody's guess. Who knows? It's uh, that, that part oh, is definitely. critically important to our team. Love to have him. Will he be back? Weird spot. Damn if I know. For sure. The, the avalanche, obviously, can be a very strange spot with the uh, news that Gabe Landeskog missed the whole year, which is actually bad news with a slight good news silver lining. At least you know now, and you can do something about it. Perhaps there's some trade opportunities there as well. Actually, you know, while, while we mention it, while we're on it with there with the avalanche, um, out from Boston, a very interesting idea for potential trades that might be someone that could fill in for Gabriel Landeskog. I'll tell you about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, as we alluded to, of course, great performance by the Denver Nuggets. We'll stick around with that and want your feedback, by the way. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. But turn attention to the Colorado Avalanche. Little more information, uh, I suppose, in the wake of the loss of Gabriel Landeskog for next season. And, and you and I feel the same way. This is more, unfortunately, this surgery is more of a post-career surgery with the hopes that maybe it's good enough to come back and play again. But uh, it this feels like the last-ditch swing. And, oh, and, I think so. And Landeskog will be 32 surgery by the time four. he comes back. Yeah, right. I, I, I think that uh, the Avalanche, obviously, you just kind of you, you cross your fingers for him, you check in. And you hope that when you check back in a year that the news is good, but you have to come to the possibility that uh, Landis Gong may have played his final game for the Avs. Now, now you know he, he hasn't he, playing for this year. Right. And it, he couched it yesterday. I'm doing it to, to try to salvage my career. But, yes, I think you're absolutely correct that there, there are also other considerations. And his ability to lead an active lifestyle is a major consideration that might even exceed uh, his yeah desire to play again he's played over 800 games and what's to accomplish he's what's to accomplish and he's won a stanley cup he's been a captain for more than a decade Uh, now on a stanley cup he's probably he probably not whether he continued probably not going to be a hall of famer 
certainly going to have his jersey hanging in the rafters in, in, in Ball oh, Arena. Absolutely. And that's if he continued to play or not. So to a certain point, Gabriel Landeskog doesn't have much more to accomplish on the NHL ice. Now, I'm sure that's not the way you want to go out, but I think that um, Landeskog is a savvy an athlete, and, and you've talked to him. I've talked to him. He's a very, very... Oh, he's the best. Extraordinarily yeah, I, intelligent I, and a guy with outstanding else perspective. Yeah. And I think that's one of the guys that understands, you know what? You play in this job, and there's a good chance that you don't get to decide when you're over, and, and an injury does that. And that's just the reality of hockey. And I think Landis Gog is probably maybe even at peace with that now. Would he like to play more? Yes. Is he going to give it his maximum effort to play more? Yes. If it doesn't happen, I think he looks at everything else that's gone on in his life and what he's accomplished in his career and going, I can live with that. Oh, I and, so. and I think for the Avs, you have to put that away and now figure out what to do with that money as they put him on long-term right. uh, ter- term injury reserve. Well, over in the Boston chapter, thehockeywriters.com, right. little story coming about there because after making all the trades that the Bruins did, one of the priorities that they would like to do is get resign their own, sign their own unrestricted free agents, and apparently uh, Tyler Bertuzzi is one of their primary objectives. So someone would have to move because the NHL has a hard cap. The interesting choice there, and the one that they suggest out of Boston, is that Taylor Hall would be the most likely to be moved. I made that point the other day. You did. Cap hit of about $6 million. Yeah, you, it, you made the same point. Same deal as... And, and coming out of Boston. Now, here's the thing, though. As, as you also pointed out, yeah, it wouldn't have anything to do with Nashushkin. In, in Boston, <laughs> Nashushkin is not mentioned. As I, as I found out when I said, any boy, point. wouldn't that be a great idea? And the response unanimously <laughs> They're like, and yeah, that, independently that, that ain't happening. was, why would Boston want to do that exactly? <laughs> well, and, it, and the other problem is it doesn't free up the money they need anyway. Now, the question of what their suggestion is, is they, they need someone who's a longer-term prospect in Boston that doesn't cost them a lot of money. And their suggestion, and this is where the Avalanche, uh, you know, this is where the Avalanche have to consider where are they? How do they feel that their championship window, how open is it with now the loss of Landis Gog and who knows what's going on in the Chushkin? Only the Avs know that. But the suggestion that Boston would find a fit is they would expect a, a future first and a, and a prospect. And the prospect that they believe, at least the writers in Boston here, that makes the most sense is Oscar Olison. Now, you got to be pretty well into knowing the Avs' depth to understand that. But Olison is only 20 years old. It's a first-round draft First-round draft pick, 20 years old. And, and the Avs believe uh, not not likely to be a superstar, but uh, the third liner that might be a second liner down yep. the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's middle a possibility. Guy. Yeah, middle six. Uh, if everything goes well. Right. But, you know, at the age of 20, that's not probably likely to happen real soon. He's kind of slight. Yeah. And in the expectation, quite I'd frankly, is even in Boston, they suggested that Olison would go to their AHL team because right. they need to free up money. Yes. If I'm the Avs, done. I do that in a second. Done. Olison in the future not, first for Taylor Hall in an instant. I am not a major Taylor Hall and, fan. And he's coming off However, <laughs> subpar year for him. Yeah, it, it, but I, I thought uh, among the failures – in the series Boston lost to Florida, uh, he was not particularly one of them. I, I thought he played okay in that series. And I, I like his, you know, he's a 45 to 50 point guy at this point in his career. Not last but, year, but then again, but, finding but, himself on a different well, line because that was a deep Well, yeah, team but and, what was he last year, 46? 
uh, this final season, 36 in 61 games. 16 20 in my mind 16, but a plus 20. but a plus 11 on the well, year plus 11 and, and for him and, look and for and, him that was a and that that was a crummy that's year okay. for him. and the I, year prior I, 61 points and to, you know if you're losing comfort okay who who plays all over I, I understand that if you're losing comfort and there's still the calculation now that well uh, maybe we can keep an unrestricted Evan Rodriguez, let's say. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can keep him now in part with Landis Gog's money, helping us do that. We're still going to lose Confer because we don't think Confer is a $5 million a year player, but somebody else, but maybe, maybe you even could, several somebodies, you could probably make this trade, thinks he does. Keep Hall or acquire Hall and keep Rodriguez. Right, and it's fine. And we're working in on the... Uh, on the line with him, or you know, I'm. <laughs> I, I guess I'm operating on the assumption that Valerio Chushkin is not going to be back. He won't be back, so I'm kind of excluding him from our projected lineups for for next year. Uh, so maybe I I ought to keep Lekkinen in mind more for the first line than uh, for the second. But, or but I think like Hall it, 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 on yeah. the first line. Could be, yeah, sure. Certainly could, could fit there. And there, I will go back to saying forty-five to fifty points. Mm-hmm. Playing with Ratnett and McKinnon becomes a possibility. Guy. Even at thirty-one, thirty-two, yeah. however old he'll be at the start. Of but also season. knowing that he's the third option and being able to be comfortable with that role, I think Hall this year with the Bruins actually. Uh, remember, this is a former Hart Trophy winner, and yeah, who beat out McKinnon once. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't think it was deserved. Hall moved down he's on that Boston line. And, and for a guy like that to be able to put the ego aside to try to make a championship run on a team, I think you saw that someone like Taylor Hall popping up on that first line, knowing that he's the third option behind McKinnon and Randon, I don't think there'd be an issue with it. Well, and he's still a dangerous player. And, and, and listen, it, at some point, uh, speaking of first-round picks, Alex Newhook has to begin to produce. You like can't, you can't give up now, pick. but you sure. can't give up. No, now. I'm not but, saying you but you're give right. up. But, but next year, but it's got to happen. It's got to happen next year. I could not There's agree gotta more. There's got to be the jump that they expected this year that did not take place. It has to be there next year. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Avalanche first-round picks over the last decade, and we certainly remember back in 2013, it was the number one overall pick, and he's turned out okay. Yeah, but all right. Okay. Uh Connor Bleakley was the first round pick the next year. You know who went right after him? Somebody McCann better than Connor Bleakley. And Pasternick. Ouch. Were literally, and I'll throw in mm. Kempe, who was also a late round pick, who went after uh, Connor Bleakley, the great star of the LA Kings. Uh, Ratnan, of course, was the 10th overall pick in 15. Uh, Tyson Jost didn't work. Top 10 pick. Didn't work out here. He's been traded, by the way, is twice since the Avalanche yeah, traded. Yeah, he's journeyman. Yeah. Uh, so the Avalanche Carr, made the right everybody there. remembers in 17, number four. Uh, Cout uh, in 18, number 16. You know, mid-first round, half the time he'll become a decent player, half the time he won't. Uh, right now it doesn't appear to be, that, you know, it, it, his future, wherever he is, mm-hmm. it, it is not terribly bright. But... Uh, you got Newhook the next year, and they had higher hopes for Newhook, I think, all along than they had for Cout, even though they were picked in the same place in the first round. And 
we're still waiting on new hook. And that was 2019. No, I mean, at least. And, and, and next year will be 2023, 2024. I know. But it, it, they thought it, he is a major star at Boston College. Mm-hmm. Major star. Yeah. And they expected more. And, some and of the I talked that- to, I, I had several conversations with Jerry York, who I go back with almost 50 years to when I was at St. Lawrence and Jerry was the coach at Clarkson. And Jerry York is a Hall of Fame uh, coach, one of the top three or four college hockey coaches who ever lived. I think he's the all-time wins leader. And he was raving about New Hook. He says the Avalanche love him. And he, Jerry York has sent people like Rob Blake yeah. to the National Hockey League. He, he, and, and I know Jerry well enough that, you know, he's not just going to blow smoke about any of his guys and say they'll be uh, – no, he said New Hook would, would be a star. And it's New Hook's fault that he hasn't been, in my view. They, they've been patient with him. Uh, they, they haven't put a tremendous amount of pressure on him. Next year, frankly, if he's not your second-line center, off he goes. He, he's he's a guy you trade. Um, and give him that chance. And the first, but, the first but rounder he's produce. that has panned out. And since everybody you've had knew. Byram, Barron, and the aforementioned Oaks. And Barron, of course, had to be dealt right. away. Right. And, and, of course, right. uh, right. Barron, give him credit. He's 21 years old. He played 50 games for almost 50 games for Montreal this year. So, I mean, that, that was a good selection and yeah. a good pick. But you had to give him up. Sure. And, of course, if you don't, great you probably don't win the Stanley Cup. Great so, trade. it's a great trade. Great trade. fantastic. Great trade. But the... The truth is, is you've gone over it there. The Avs' first rounders have, when they've hit, they've really hit. Yes. But for and the when most they've part, missed, they've really missed. Yeah, and, and a lot of it's kind of been, eh, okay. Tyson Jones can make the NHL, but he's a journeyman. Yeah. Alex yeah. Newhook, we'll find out next year. If Alex Newhook doesn't make a leap forward next year, he's probably a journeyman. I think a lot of North Dakota guys, um, Jonathan Taze is the best example of a North Dakota guy who's great in North Dakota and even greater in the NHL. And I remember him vividly during his college days at uh, at, uh, North Dakota. I saw him play all the time. Uh, Didn't know him, but saw him play, you know, two games a year at least because it seemed like North Dakota always came right um, in the, in the rotation, whether it was the old WCHA or, you know, the, the way it is now with the, uh, the NCHC, but uh, back in the old WCHA, he was a great star and he was great in the pros. They have also had their share of busts come out of North Dakota over the years. The guys who were great in college and just weren't anything more than and I assume we're best. So uh, it's 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 a it's a flip of the. I'm going to guess really we're on is. the same page too. That for, to my mind at least, we talked about JT Confer, but. The primary objective in the offseason for the Colorado Avalanche has to be to re-sign unrestricted free agent Devontae's, period. Well, he's not. A, he's restricted, though. He's got one year left. Tabs. Oh, pardon me. You're right. Yes, Tabs. one year left. Sorry. I, I, but that should be a to try to get that extension done if you can. I think so. And in the post today, uh, whoever's covering the ads for the post, probably you know, getting this from someone within the organization who said, you know, if we wanted to go get uh, – uh, this uh, Nick second Schmaltz. line center from Phoenix, uh, the Arizona. Uh, we'd we'd go get Nick Schmaltz yeah. and trade Devontae's. Well, that's insane. Okay, I, I mean Devontae's is on a team friendly deal, which will be redone as a as Bo Byron's deal should be redone. They're, they're keepers. 
Now, the Gerard trade rumors are always going to be there. I would personally be against it, but it's not insane to conceive of a scenario by which you could make a good trade that would involve uh, Hard to Jordan. imagine you could make a good trade uh, that yeah. involves Taves. But yeah. Taves, uh, you've that one's tough. got <laughs> to be choking. That one's tough. I don't you've know if I can pull be that choking. one off. For sure. Well... We will talk about them in just a little bit, but, you know, baseball's back in spring, and as the push for the postseason on is hockey and hoops, make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, right now you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Nuggets find themselves in an enviable position after playing an extraordinary Game 5. We'll break it all down with the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, Ryan Blackburn, next on Miley Sports.